Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. Good morning. I'm Abby Smith, and I'm a volunteer here. Today we'll be reading Revelation 20, 7 through 10. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for a battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up, to, went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is a battle coming. The war has already begun. It has raged unseen for millennia. And though we often struggle to see the conflict for what it really is, all of us can feel its effects. We wrestle with the powers of sin and death on a daily basis, and sometimes, in our darkest moments, it can feel like we're losing. But the word of the Lord tells a different story. Hope echoes throughout the pages of Scripture. Despite the mystery that surrounds it, the book of Revelation offers the people of God a clear message. Fear not tomorrow. Tomorrow is one. Well, good morning, downtown Vineyard Church. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Glad to see you all here this morning as we continue on in our series in Revelation. Before I get started, um, you may have noticed that we have a table out in the lobby, and it's for our Homes of Hope mission trip. And this is so cool. This is so cool. So we get a group of people, and we go down to Baja, Mexico, and we build a house for a family in one week. And we've been doing this for a few years. This, this, uh, this mission has been going on for a number of years, and it's powerful. So um, if that sounds like something that you would be interested in, you can go. You can take your whole family with you. I've heard such amazing stories when families have gone and done this together. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's a week. It's the week of May 30th. Um, that's my birthday. Put that in your calendar, and you can just drop off presents at the church. Um, but uh, an important date for this, for this trip is April 10th. April 10th, the deposit is due for that if you're interested in going. So after service, you can go out to the table if you're interested. If you'd like some information, talk to our buddy Dave who's out there, um, and he can get you hooked up. So uh, a very, very powerful, powerful mission. All right, so uh, this morning, we continue on in Revelation. We're in 19 and 20, and I am so so, so excited about this talk this morning um, because, because Revelation, as we've gone through it, has been so powerful for so many people. I've had multiple conversations with people that said that it's helped them so much because they've always looked at Revelation as confusing and scary. And as we've walked through this, it really shows people that Revelation is a book of hope. That ultimately, in we recognize and we understand that Jesus wins, right? Jesus wins, Jesus wins. And we love that. Today, today, in 19 and 20, we get to see how Jesus wins. And it's so awesome that we get to see this final battle, that we get to see how Satan and the beasts and the false prophets are thrown into the lake and defeated. <clears throat> we get to see how God destroys sin and death and the grave. All awesome. And then next week, next week, we get to see how God makes everything new again. New heaven, new earth. It's going to be awesome. You'll want to be here for that. So um, one of the things that we've come to understand as we go through Revelation is that um, there's some important things that are different than we, what we might see in other parts of the Bible. <clears throat> One of them is that it is what we call apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic literature, which means it has a lot of imagery and a lot of symbols. And if you've been coming and following along, you've seen that. 
<clears throat> also, the entire book is really just an unveiling of one thing. It's an unveiling of Jesus Christ and how God wins and Jesus is the victor. Now, as we go through this through this, this morning in 1920, we're going to see one other really important thing that we need to understand to fully grasp what's going on here. And it's something that is called recapitulation. Recapitulation. Now, say it with me. Recapitulation. Oh, man, that was good. Way better than the 9 o'clock. Just saying. So, what recapitulation is, recapitulation is the telling of a story, of the same story, from a different perspective or emphasizing different information. Um, And that's something that really we have seen throughout Scripture. One of the best examples is in the Gospels. That if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see that there will be more than one of them telling the same story, only it looks different, right? It's from a different perspective or with different information. And that is recapitulation. So here's why that concept is so important this morning. So as you just saw in Revelation 20 that that Abby was reading for us, and we'll see in Revelations 19, we read about this battle. We read about a battle. And if you just read through that, you're going to think that it's two different battles. But it is not. It is the same battle told from two different perspectives. Recapitulation. Same story, two different perspectives. So, what we heard in Revelation 20 is an informational story. That's, what, that's how I look at it. It's really informational. That Satan gathers his army and surrounds God's people, yet before the battle even starts, that God destroys the army. And then he casts Satan into the fiery lake with the beasts and the false prophet. <clears throat> and then they're tormented day and night, forever and ever. Awesome right? And that's a pretty straightforward story. Now, when we look at Revelation 19, we see a different telling of the story. It's apocalyptic. We see all kinds of symbols and imagery. And it shows that this story is actually a spiritual battle. It's not a physical one. And we see, I think this is so important, we see a different picture of Jesus. What we've seen up till now is Jesus as the Lamb And in this telling in 19, we see Jesus as the warrior. So this morning, we're going to read Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him on the white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress." On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of the kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together, to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. So this is such an interesting passage because we read about this final battle. And in in reading it, and you look at all these things, it really seems like a physical battle. I mean, Jesus is riding a horse, and he's wearing all these crowns. There's blood. Jesus has a sword. But these things are symbolic. 
They're fully symbolic. And I'm going to walk us through what these symbols mean. Because when we understand these symbols, we're going to realize one truth. One truth. Spoiler alert. This final battle was actually never fought. It's never fought. It's never fought because it doesn't need to be fought. The final battle, the real final battle, was fought and won at the cross. So let's walk through this symbolism that's in verses 11 through 15, and you're going to see what I mean. So verse 11, Jesus is riding on a white horse. So in the first century, a horse is a symbol of warfare. It's a symbol of warfare. So if a king is riding a horse, he's headed to battle. If he's riding a donkey, he comes in peace. In Revelation 19, King Jesus rides as the warrior, but he's not riding to fight a battle. He's riding to implement, to implement the victory he already won on the cross. As a warrior, he comes to send the enemies of God to their final destruction. Now, can I tell you, can I tell you that this, this picture of Jesus as the warrior is the picture we need to see right now. Understand, understand, right? I love the picture of Jesus as the lamb. I understand the need for Jesus as the lamb because the lamb is this beautiful, amazing picture of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that we have gained eternity through his sacrifice on the cross. But predominantly, predominantly in our Western culture, we have like two pictures of Jesus, right? We have baby Jesus in the manger, right? Cute little baby Jesus that we love. And then we have like passive Jesus, right? Jesus who is really, really nice and loves children and is never going to hurt anybody's feelings. See, we understand that Jesus came down to earth, right, from heaven. We understand that. And we understand that he was fully man and he was fully God. But those two images, right, baby Jesus and nice guy Jesus, speak to his humanity. And while he came as the lamb to be the sacrifice, what we can and often miss is that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God, and with him and in him are all the power and the majesty of heaven. Warrior Jesus, King Jesus. And as believers, as believers, we are called to walk in that same power through the Holy Spirit. That Acts 1.8 says, and power will come upon you through the Holy Spirit. But often, often, we walk through life in fear instead of in power. I have conversations with people all the time. I counsel them. I mentor them. I coach them. I walk with them. And there's two phrases that I hear from almost every single one of them. One is, I'm afraid. And the second one is, I'm not enough. So it's important to understand what these mean, right? I'm afraid, is actually about intimidation. That we have been bullied, intimidated by Satan and the evil forces of the world. And it's causing us to live in fear instead of the freedom that Jesus has given us through his death and resurrection. I'm not enough is about identity. Because here's what we do. We're looking for identity, and we go to the world, and we say, oh, who am I? Who am I? Instead of going to God and saying, who did you create me to be? The world and Satan are always going to tell you that you are lacking, that you are a disappointment, that you are broken. See, God says, you're my image bearer. You're my image bearer. You are talented and amazing and capable and beautiful. And most importantly, you belong to me. That's who God says you are. Okay, on to verse 12. 
<clears throat> it's talking about the crowns on Jesus' head. So the symbol, crowns are a symbol for victory. A symbol for victory. <clears throat> and this really isn't an unusual symbol in the first century. There's multiple crowns. So if a monarch is king over more than one territory, more than one nation, he's going to wear more than one crown. Now get this, get this image. <clears throat> Jesus is, we is wearing so many crowns, you can't even count them. And here's what those crowns are. <clears throat> Every person that Jesus has freed from death and sin is a crown on his head, a victory that he has won. So, if you've given your life to Jesus, that means you are a crown on his head. How cool is that? All right, let's move on to verse 13. So it talks about this robe dipped in blood. So, so that's weird, right? Because it's like, how is there blood on his robe when there's not even a battle, right? See, the blood is Jesus' own blood that he shed on the cross for us. That's what we're seeing in that verse. And here's what we see in verse 14. <clears throat> this is really important. Jesus and his army are dressed in robes of fine linen. So in this, you may be struggling to go, I just, I'm not making the connection between the spiritual or the difference between spiritual and physical. It seems like this is physical and I, I'm not quite getting to the spiritual part. I think this will help you understand. So if an army is going to war, what are they wearing? Armor, right? Armor. Armor, right? Armor is the uniform of a soldier. But this army is wearing linen robes? How weird is that? See, linen is the uniform of a priest. So this army didn't come to do battle. It came to share in the victory that Jesus has already won. It came to implement the high priestly work of Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. <clears throat> and finally, verse 15. So this sword that comes from Jesus' mouth, right? So if it's not a physical sword, what is it? What is it? So one of the things we've talked about in Revelation is that there's nothing in Revelations that we, in Revelation that we don't see somewhere else in Scripture. So in Ephesians 6, um, we read about putting on the entire armor of God. And in verse 17, we see the last piece of armor, and it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So where did we just see that phrase in Revelations 19? The Word of God. We saw it in verse 13. And it said, Jesus' title is the Word, capital W, of God. So if we read the Gospels, right, this language should sound familiar to us. Um, John, the author of Revelation, said this in his Gospel. Uh, John 1, 1 through 5. <clears throat> in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is the Word of God. That is His weapon. So, what does that mean? How does Jesus win the battle? And this is so cool. Jesus wins simply by speaking. He wins simply by speaking. That is how powerful Jesus is. And we see proof of his power throughout Scripture, throughout his ministry, right? He casts out demons simply by saying, be gone. And they left. On the Sea of Galilee, the storm is raging, and the apostles are freaking out, and Jesus is sleeping, and he gets up, and he says, be still. He calmed the storm simply by speaking. At the tomb of Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, four days, Jesus says, come out. And the dead man rose. 
and came out. And all because Jesus spoke. Jesus defeats Satan and every in English and every enemy of God simply by speaking. This is why the book of Revelation is such good news. This quote from Daryl Johnson. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ is written to bring the first century church back to confidence in Jesus and his word. The church in our century is facing the same crisis. Who is going to win? Caesar in all of his economic and technological power or Jesus with his simple word? That's so cool. <clears throat> so, Here's what I would like for us to do this morning as a church here gathered. <clears throat> so let's take a minute. Let's just take a beat. Let's take a breather from just our struggles and our difficulties in life. Can we do that? Can we just sit in this freedom and the beauty of this story? <sighs> breathe in, breathe out, right? Because here's what we need to understand. This is our future. What we're reading about today is our future. Because Jesus wins, we win. Satan and every evil force in the world will be fully defeated. Cast into the burning lake to be tortured forever and ever. That is their destiny. That's their destiny. Our destiny is to live in freedom from sin, the death, and the grave. And because those things will also be cast into the burning lake, never to influence us again. So how does that feel? Feel pretty good? Yeah. So if we just sit in that for a minute, that's our future. That's our destiny. Jesus wins, and we win with him. Feels pretty good, right? This morning, actually, I was thinking about this, and I was like, hey, what if I just did this little exercise, like, for a couple minutes every day? Realizing that, that's going to be powerful, so that's kind of gotten added to some other stuff for me, and I think that's going to really help me in dealing with the battles that I face. Okay, that feels good, that feels awesome, but there's this nagging thing, right? Because here's the difficult truth. While our futures, our destinies, right? Well, this is that, this, right? This future with Jesus, that's our destiny. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We still live in this very fallen, very broken world. And many times, while we know that in the end that we're going to win, we don't feel like we're winning today, do we? Health issues, financial problems, relationship dysfunction, addiction battles. The list goes on and on and on. And there still is this spiritual battle going on for the possession of our souls and the souls of everybody that we love and care about. And as believers of Jesus Christ, we are called into this fight. So, we're called in this fight. Let me ask you a couple questions. So, if you're playing a game, if you're playing a game, and you know that you can't lose, how do you play the game? In fear or with confidence? Confidence, yeah. So, if you're in a war, and you know that victory is certain, how are you going to fight every battle? With fear or confidence? See, Satan has put us on the defensive by intimidation and bullying us, fear, and by causing us to doubt God's goodness and our right standing with our Heavenly Father. And we feel like we're losing the battle. But friends, understand that we are on the side that wins. Christianity around the world 
is growing, it's thriving, and in some places, it is exploding. Tim Keller. Demographers tell us the 21st century will be less secular than the 20th. There have been seismic religious shifts among Christians in sub-Saharan Africa and China, while evangelicalism and Pentecostalism have grown exponentially in Latin America. Even in the United States, the growth of the nuns has been mainly among those previously identified but nominal or disengaged with a faith, while the devoutly religious in the United States and Europe are growing. Man, isn't that good news? See, if this is true, though, if this is true, why do we think and act like we're losing? Maybe, just maybe, the problem is, is that we think or we feel like we have to play defense in this, instead of recognizing that God has called us to play offense. God has not left us without the weapons to fight our battles, But to win, we have to understand what our weapons are and how to equip ourselves. So this morning, I have three points to help us understand how we've been called into this battle. So point number one, the weapons of our warfare are spiritual, not physical. Spiritual, not physical. So we have to understand the kind of battle we're fighting because the battle that we're in We don't win with like AK-47s and tanks and bombs. We don't win that war with this. We can't win a spiritual war using physical weapons. 2 Corinthians 3, or sorry, 10, 3 through 4, uh, this is in the NIV. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... They have divine power to to demolish strongholds, right? Did you catch that? Divine power, power from God. Our weapons are empowered by God so we can fight and win. He is not leaving us like hanging out in the breeze to try and figure this thing out for ourselves and trying to win out of our own knowledge and our own might. So, If they're not physical weapons, they're spiritual, that begs the question, what are our weapons? So one of the great places that we can see them is is Galatians 5, 22 through 23, which talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And here they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Different kind of weapons, aren't they? And the great thing is, is these weapons are at our disposal anytime, any day. And I was looking at other scripture, and I absolutely love what Romans 12, 12 through 13 says. It calls us to confident hope, prayer, serving others, hospitality. So, you may be wondering, how are these weapons, right? I mean, they don't really sound like weapons. But understand, we're fighting from a different position. We're fighting on kind of like this different front. Waging this war is about doing good. Doing good. Good for others. Good for God in the presence of evil. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good for everyone. So I got this buddy, Chris, that, uh, that we've been walking through life together for a couple years. Such a good dude. Such a good dude. Um, about a year ago, he'd gone on a trip, and he came back home, and he's a, he's a junction guy, grew up here, uh, and he came back, he's like, I didn't want to come home. I did not want to go home, come home. I feel this call 
I feel this press to move someplace else, that I am never going to become who God called me to be if I stay in Grand Junction. I'm just too comfortable there. And man, did that ever open him up to attack from the enemy because he was just dealing with anxiety and depression and fear and the enemy was just handing it to him. But we just walked through this and walked through this and then he just he got this opportunity to move out of state uh, in his job. He's a medical assistant and he's, he's moving into a position to be a traveling medical assistant. <clears throat> so he was part of our alpha class. Do I have any of my alpha people in here? Okay, 9 o'clock is way better than that one. Do I have any of my alpha people here? There we go. <clears throat> so if you're not familiar, alpha is this class that was uh, started years and years and years ago in England at a church there, and it's really designed uh, to help the unchurched or, or, or um, newer believers uh, just to answer, to ask and get answered just the, the basic questions, the big questions, right? Who's Jesus and who's the Holy Spirit and why did Jesus have to die? So we had that class, and it was really awesome. You know, you come together and you eat a meal together, and everybody's at their tables, and, and then you watch a video, and then you have this discussion. And it was awesome because it just really created all of these great communities. So Chris was leaving before we got done with the second semester, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and his sister, Steph, says, hey, can we pray for him before he goes? And I was like, absolutely. This is going to be good. So after that class... We all come around, and we all start praying for Chris. And, and he and I talked this week, and so he told me this. He goes, man, when Robin prayed for me, that just nailed me. Because she said, she said, Chris, just like Jesus called Peter out of the boat, Jesus is calling you out of the boat. And his eyes are closed, and you just see this reaction. And then Sister Stephanie prays for him. And it's that prayer that only comes, that can only come from a big sister who loves her little brother. And then, and then, little Allie, nine years old, just sitting there with her little hand on his leg, and she prays for him and prays for him, and then she says, I'm proud of you, Bubba. And just the tears. Powerful, powerful stuff. Chris was leaving the next week. We got together before he left. And he was so excited because he was like, it's all gone. All the anxiety, all the fear, all the depression, gone just from praying. The power of prayer, the power of the weapon that we have against the enemy. I heard this great quote from Chip Ingram, a, a pastor, and he said that, that when Satan and his demons, when we read Scripture, they get shaky. When we pray, they flee. And you know what we were doing with Chris and for Chris? We were battling. We were battling with the weapons that were given to us by God. See, the best way <clears throat> to battle evil is to do good in the sight of God. Now, doing good and fighting this battle can take many forms, right? Uh, we see things in Scripture, and it talks about we're supposed to make disciples, and we're supposed to share our faith, right, and share our testimony. We're supposed to pray for others. We're supposed to do things like go on mission trips to build houses for people. But it can also be as simple as this. Let's say you lose your temper with your children. I mean, that doesn't happen for anybody here, but other people, right? You lose your temper with your children. Fighting the battle and winning means you apologize. Let's say you come to realize and you get a little convicted by the fact that you've actually been a really lousy spouse. You haven't been a very good husband or wife. Winning this battle, you repent. You repent, and you apologize. Your neighbor is elderly or a single mom. Mow their grass, pull some weeds, 
Do something without being asked. See, by doing these kinds of things, we reflect the love and the goodness of Jesus because we know that, that Jesus ultimately wins the war. Why wouldn't we fight our battles like Jesus does? All right, point number two. The weapons of our warfare are designed to bring life, not destruction. Life, not destruction. So, did you know that you have one of the most powerful weapons in the world in your possession? Did you know that? You do. And it has the power to bring life or cause destruction. So, do you know what it is? Proverbs 18.21 says this. The tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death or life. <clears throat> so, as I looked this up, I, I did a quick internet search, and I found just in Proverbs, more than 20 Proverbs that talk about the power of the tongue. It is that powerful. So, so let me ask you this. <clears throat> Have you ever won a fight with someone, yet you actually lost? Right? You won a fight that you lost? Guys, guys, have you ever won a fight with your wife and then you spent the next week on the couch? Did you really win? Right? Because your need to win, your need to be right, actually caused division or destruction within your relationship. What we say and how we say it to others matters. Our words and our attitudes can lift people up or it can tear them down. One of the best pieces of, piece, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had in my life came from my dad. And he simply said this. People will forgive you for what you say, but that doesn't mean they'll forget it. Doesn't mean they'll forget it. See, when it comes to winning this war, we never win by, tip, by tearing other people down. We win by building them up. We win by being light in a dark world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this. <clears throat> you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it in under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So, I think we can all agree, understand, know that there's just a lot of darkness in the world, a lot of dark places. Um, and some of those are actually within our institutions, that it's really tough to be a Christian in some places. So again, from our Alpha class, um, Lauren is a teacher. And so within this time at the end, in our very last class at Alpha, we did this thing, we just did a celebration because we don't, aren't really good at celebrating. We kind of just like get done with one thing and go on the next. And I wanted us to like celebrate. And part of that celebration was the opportunity for people to get up and share how the Alpha class had affected them. <clears throat> she was struggling because even though she um, was raised in the church, man, within the schools, it's really, really tough sledding when it comes to sharing faith that you can get in a lot of trouble. And she really felt convicted that she needed to do something, but she knew that she needed to be careful. <clears throat> so one day, they're talking about calendars, just talking about calendars. And she said, oh, here's my opportunity. And she simply said, on Sundays and Tuesdays, I go to church. I go to church. And what that opened, because the thing is, is sometimes it just takes one person. It just takes you to say, hey, you know what? I'm a believer. And it frees others to speak up too. Because in her class was somebody who actually comes to this church too. And so they got to talk about, hey, what did you think of the sermon? And, and then it brought other people in. It brought other kids and made them feel safe to speak about their faith. Here's the other beautiful thing about it. 
that Lauren is so non-judgmental that she was being a light. And what that did was attract these kids who were going through all of these terrible struggles. Because I hear stories about the things that kids are going through now that I never, not only did I not go through those things, I would have never even thought they were possible in my time and that they go through these struggles and difficulties. And she was a light. She was a light for these kids that they could feel safe. And we are called to be a light in the dark world wherever we hold influence. Amen? All right. Here's our last point this morning, and it's my favorite point. I love this. We have been weaponized by God to take enemy territory. So who has heard of Bill McCartney? Anybody heard of Bill McCartney? So he was CU's football coach back in the 90s, but he also started this amazing men's ministry called Promise Keepers. And as I was working through this talk, I remembered this documentary on him And in it, it had um, some clips from different promise keeper situations, from different promise keeper um, events. And in this one clip, McCartney said this. This, there we go. I want to be a weapon in the hands of a mighty God. Man, does that just speak to anybody here this morning besides me? That's powerful. Who wants to be a weapon in the hands of God? See, this statement in the context of this talk changed everything for me. It changed everything for me. I want to be a weapon in the hands of of a mighty God. See, the response, my own response, my internal response to this statement isn't just about my job as a DTV pastor. It's about my life. It's about the personal ministry that God has given to me. God hasn't just called me. He has weaponized me. He has weaponized me. Here's what I mean. So God has created me to be an encourager. That's just who he's created me to be. And that encouragement plays out through through preaching and teaching and counseling and mentoring and coaching. And what I now understand is that when I teach and I counsel and I coach and I encourage, I'm doing battle. I am full-on doing battle. And by battling with and for the people I encourage, just like Chris, I am a weapon in God's hands. So I'm guessing that really hits home, really hits for the guys here today. But I'm not so sure about our ladies, that Rob and I were talking about this, and, and she said, hey, you know that that really it's kind of like more disarming, that that might be better language for ladies. But I want to, um, if there's a gap for you, I want to kind of bridge that gap, and here it is. Prayer, love, truth, kindness, repentance, understanding, all of these things are offensive weapons at your disposal. Think about this. Think about this. Satan is the king of lies. So the truth of God's word is offensive to him, and it is an offensive weapon that you can use against him. He wants to separate us from God. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, that is offensive to him and an offensive weapon at our disposal. He wants to destroy your family. And by loving and understanding and caring for your children and your husband in the way that God has called you to, you are waging an offensive war against Satan and all the evil of this world. Every time 
that you walk with one of your friends through the hardships of their lives, and you love on them, and you care for them, and you encourage them. You're a weapon in the hands of a mighty God. Through God's power, you are disarming Satan. Revelations 19 and 20 show beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus wins. The worldwide church is growing, not shrinking. And it's time for us to stop being defensive in this war. It's time to go after the enemies with the godly weapons at our disposal. So, before we finish this up, I really felt like uh, something that we needed to talk about in preparing for the battle. And I want to share what that looks like for me. And it's really simple. It's three simple things. My identity in Christ, my spiritual gifts, and my spiritual disciplines. So, identity. I talked about how I I know my identity in Christ is to be an encourager. So, how did I get there? How did I get there? Well, first, since it comes from God, I prayed to God that He would reveal that to me. And then, I surrounded myself with godly people. Because if I surround myself with worldly people, they're going to take me to to what the world says and not what God says, and godly people are going to direct me and pay attention to the things that God is doing in my life. And then I paid attention to what God, to what gives me life, right? What fills my bucket. And then I paid attention to the things that I naturally do for the good of the kingdom. Those are the things that I do. Spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. So on the screen, you'll see a list of spiritual gifts. And those come out of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And if you're wondering what your spiritual gifts are and you haven't done a spiritual gifts assessment, you can go to our website, www.dtvchurch.org forward slash gifts. And there's a free assessment that you can take there. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So understand two things about the scripture. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've given your life to Jesus, you've been given at least one spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift, here's the second thing, that spiritual gift has been given to you to help others, to help others. So here's why knowing what your spiritual gifts are, why that's so important in what we're talking about today. They're going to be in alignment with our God-given identity. God's going to work that way, right? They're going to be in alignment with who He created us to be. And, and those spiritual gifts are going to direct you towards the work that God has for you. And then spiritual disciplines. So every morning, I get up, grab the coffee, go sit on the couch, and I read Scripture, and I pray, Some mornings, I listen to worship music. If I've got a little more time, I'll listen to a sermon from another pastor that I like. And there are multiple reasons why these spiritual practices are so important to me. See, in the context of this sermon, these spiritual disciplines prepare me for spiritual battle. Because when the attacks come, and they do... Like this week, as I was preparing for this sermon and I was getting it handed to me, I had a response, right? My response to the lies of the enemy was the truth of Scripture that came to mind because I read Scripture, that I prayed, asking God for His protection and His strength and His wisdom, and He gave it to me. I listen to worship music, and I'm encouraged, and I'm inspired I'd like to invite our worship team back up. So here's something I know. I know that we're going through battles. We're going through struggles, right? Actually, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. If you'd go ahead and stand up. So I'm going to ask you to take some steps of faith here this morning. So, so 
If you are going through a battle right now, raise your hand. If you're going through a battle right now, raise your hand. Keep them up. Keep them up. So maybe overall things are pretty good with you, but if you're walking along with somebody who's going through a battle, raise your hand. Right? It's hard, isn't it? It's painful. See, and one of the things that happens, one of the ways that Satan gets us in this battle is he gets us to isolate, that we pull back, right? He whispers into our ear, oh man, nobody wants to listen to your stuff. You're the only one going through that. What are people going to say about you in your struggle, in your difficulty? And it gets us to isolate. Yeah, who's struggling with isolation? Yeah. See, how, how I know is that it's not this, it's this. That's how I know how difficult it is. That's how I know the war that you're going through, the battle you're going through. But can I tell you, it's time to do something different, right? Jesus has so much power that he can defeat any enemy just by speaking. That's the side that we're on. But have we grabbed onto that power? Have we stepped into that power? Have we accepted that power? See, to win, we've got to get offensive. But it's in a different way than what we see in Braveheart and Gladiator, right? So I'm going to ask you to take some steps of faith this morning. I had this vision in my head as I prepared for this that came from God. And here's the idea. Um, so have you ever seen any documentaries, movies on the Spartans? They do this really cool thing. They have these shields. And when they come together, they interlock. And it's this impenetrable covering over them. And then, once they do that, then they start moving forward. They start moving forward. See, because warriors, soldiers, don't go to battle by themselves. They come together. And they're with each other. And too often, we're trying to fight our battles by ourselves, aren't we? Aren't we? And we come to church... And we stay in a row, and we might fill out a connect card, but we don't make any other steps. So here's what I'm going to ask this morning. I'm going to ask us to come forward. If you're going through battle, if you're coming, just going through difficulties and struggles in your life, if somebody that you love and care about is going to, I'm going to ask us to come forward. And here's the imagery that I had. That just like with the Spartans, we're going to come forward, and we're going to lock arms because we're not going through this alone. So come forward. Since we are not called to fight this battle alone, come together. Come together so we can lock arms. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, we're talking. So here's what I love. Here's what I love. So this is cool. Lock arms. Get in there. All right? Don't be bashful. We're going we're gonna to sing this last song. It's see a victory. I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to you, Lord. See, when I say that we're not alone fighting this battle, not just each other, but with the God of heaven through Jesus Christ. Right? So it's time for us to get offensive. So, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Love you guys. All right, let's worship.
How does this feel? To know you're not alone. To know that there is a victory for you over all the things that you're going through, the struggles and difficulty. That God is with you. That God is fighting the battle. So part of what inspired me on this is that, that in that Alpha class, at the very end, everybody who talked, talked about Community the community that they didn't have before this. That we just, man, we deal with this loneliness and this isolation, you know, especially coming out of COVID, but, but even, even besides that, right? And just all these difficulties that we go through. But, but friends, I mean, why come to church if you're going to just sit and be alone? This is our family. This is our community, Right? And just remember, greater is he living in me than he who is living in the world. That is the power of the God that we serve. So when the difficulties, the negativity, when the voice of, of Satan or the world comes against you, this has done me so much good. One question, and you look up and you say, God, what do you say? Right? Truth of God lies in everything else. Right? So, I've kept us way too long. I'm going to have to apologize to our children's workers, but I'm going to, I'm going to pray over us. I thank you for, for taking this step of faith. So, Lord, I just, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I just thank you for your goodness. For all my amazing friends here, for this family, for this community. And that we move forward in the power and the beauty and the might 
and the knowledge of your goodness, of your sons, Jesus, and that we win. That we win. So it's in your son's precious name we pray. And the whole church said, amen. All right. You guys are awesome. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.